All right. It's the morning time. And by morning, I mean it's uh, 10 a.m., which is early for me, not early for Noah. Thanks for being on the show, Noah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So let me introduce Noah Kagan. Uh, Noah Kagan started at Sumo, Sumo.com, King Sumo, Ninja Car, Kickflip, Bettercade, several conferences, SendFox, OK Dork, a whole list of other awesome things. Um, there's been periods in his life when he gets crazily obsessed with like cycling, chess, ping pong, learning Hebrew. I've never seen someone acquire as many skills as you. You've worked at Macy's, Intel, Mint, and even employee number 30 at Facebook. Um, and also one of my best friends in the entire world, Noah Kagan. Thanks for being on. Love you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, so morning time, man. What, what time do you usually wake up in the morning? Uh, lately, one of my things is I asked the guy, the founder of Strava, mm -hmm. I said, hey, what's the meaning of a good life? And he's not to wake up with an alarm clock. Wow. And I was like, dude, that's a really good thing to, to try. So yeah, the past- This guy's speaking my speed. I know. <laughs> I mean, his butler wakes him up at nine. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. so I, lately, uh, I don't use an alarm clock. So my natural body is waking up somewhere between eight and nine. Hmm. And you don't use an alarm clock at all. You just kind of naturally just yeah. spring up in bed? Yeah, I'm actually, it's funny. Yeah, I get up and I'm just, I'm kind of just ready to go right away. Um, today, I use an alarm clock if I have to be somewhere like here. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, just get up and get going. Wait, so you're, you're doing the Neville Medora method of let's wake up afternoon every day. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we rented a house in Malibu for the summer. And uh, like, it was funny because like our schedules are so diametrically opposite in certain ways. Like you've been up, you do 75 miles on a bike and I'm just like rolling out of bed at 1130 <laughs> or something, maybe. I think part of all that is just like figuring out when's your sweet spot, yeah. right? Like when I was in like in 20s, like I would basically be up to like one, two, three, just staying up really late and doing the Neville Medora sleep in style. <laughs> and then now it's not that I, I just know that if I sleep in a little earlier, if I go to bed earlier and wake up, just whenever I wake up, I feel more refreshed. I remember having this conversation with you and uh, it was just kind of like, what's the point of like becoming rich if you can't do whatever you want? So like you would, <laughs> you, you have this habit of like, or you used to, you're way better. Thanks, you used to have man. a funny habit of like doing things that would make you mad. So like you would invite people to stay over at your place for like two weeks at a time. And they're like, are you sure? Cause I could easily stay at a hotel or whatever. You're like, no, no, stay, stay at my place. And then like day one, you're already annoyed at them. Yeah. And then it's like awkward for two weeks for both of you. Totally. And I was just like, why don't you just tell them to not stay for, what are you doing? Like, I think what I've been trying to be more aware of and, and for myself, and I think it's better beneficial for others is just like, what do you want to do versus what you have to do? And I think as we get older, cause we're trained in school to do all these things we have to do. Like you have to follow this, you have to raise hands. And uh, recently I'm like, hold on, I don't have to do this? Like, I have Hebrew class twice a week. Mm. I don't have to go to Hebrew class. I signed up for it. So mm. I told her, I was like, I'm not going this week. Uh, or I don't want to have Hebrew class before 10 a.m. because then I have to use the alarm. And I think I've just been more mindful of that, about how do I maximize the things I want to do and then just minimize all these things that I feel like I have to do. Uh, I think that's a great philosophy. I mean, uh, so we talk about this quite a bit, uh, but uh, <laughs> like I, I've always planned life backwards. And so, like, one of the questions I've had is, like, uh, so as of this recording, you are 38 years old, right? Yes. Um, on average, I looked up the stats for your age. Uh, you will die at 78 years old. Actually, 78.4 or something like that. Like so that means you have 40 years left to live. Nice. 4-0. That's it. So that's four sweet. decades. Um, what do you think of that? What, what would you like to optimize for? What do you think about that concept? I'm not sure if I'm – I have thought about when I'm going to die – uh, I think what was actually an interesting parallel of that is like last week I signed my will. And I think we've heard that. I think I don't think anyone who's listening or watching will ever say like, oh, I'm not going to die. I think people know it's happening. But when I signed a will, I was like, holy shit, I'm dying. And this is what happens after I die. 
And it actually gave me the opposite inspiration of like, how do I do all these things while I'm alive? Versus like, oh, I'm gonna have all this money and it's gonna go to like my brother. And I was like, fuck that. I'm just gonna try to spend it all now. And like, how do I donate it to charity or like give it out to things or enjoy and do the activities? I feel like I've done a lot of the things I've wanted to do in life. And um, I don't know, I, I'm not, I don't really think beyond about a year. I think most of my life is about one year optimization. So like I do, you know, like yearly bucket list. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, hey, what did I want to do in 2020? And I have that list. I could be benefited by having longer things, but I just haven't. It hasn't oh, worked. Wake you up at 10 in the morning to do a podcast. No, I, I actually, yeah, I mean, this is exciting. This is fun. Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing I was talking with someone earlier today, I think part of it is like, what are you looking forward to in your day? What are you looking forward to in your week? And also just like noticing what's just calling you. So like recently I have like looked at kids. I'm like, yo, these things are fucking cool. Like you can program them. They'll like eventually do some work for you. Maybe they'll pay for your dinners. Uh, and it's fun. And so I have been feeling like, oh, that's something that's starting to feel like I want to have that sooner. So speaking of a life optimization, I've always I've always planned my life backwards. I, I think everyone knows by this point, 85, November 17, 2067. I'm done. I'm out of here. Can't uh, wait. You're welcome to come <laughs> to my death party. No, I'm, I'm pushing. Still alive. I'm pushing you on the volcano. Oh, yeah. You're pushing me out of the plane that I'm going to jump into an African <laughs> volcano. Yeah. No parachute. Um, so so I'm done by then. So I planned life backwards. And the answer for having kids is around 40. Mm. And I think we've been very fortunate that we both started businesses pretty early in life, like before it was cool. So high school, college, yeah. and we both kind of had enough money by the time we graduated from college to kind of do what we want. And also you're like super young and just free. You can do whatever you want. So I feel like we've done a lot of things that people wait long times for. Like they wait till retirement totally. or they wait till like much later in life to do. And we get to do them early. So I think like kids around 40 is kind of next. So how about this? Packed, tw I, I picked the date, 2023. <laughs> what do you think? To kids. have kids together? Like, All, we're going to adopt no, them? Not me and you. But like, <laughs> you got to find some girl. I got to find some girl. All right. And then and then also maybe Sam and everyone and then the whole friend group. Can you do a fist bump to the side yeah. like there? Fist, oh, wait. Which way does this go? Boop. Boom. There we go. <laughs> nice, dude. I'm in. Yeah. That way, if we all have kids, we get to hang out together and then like pawn the kids off on each other dude, sometimes. I like it. Yeah. We could also do the old... Um, it's like, what is it? Mating in captivity book and some sex at dawn book, some of these books where we can also... Back in the day, everyone would sleep with each other's wives. And, <laughs> and husbands sexually, you know, it's not sex. It's everyone gets sex with everyone. So they don't know who the father is. So then everyone would take care of everyone's kid. So let's do that. Oh, yeah. So if I have a kid and he comes out bald and Jewy, like, I could be like, Devil. oh, whose kid is that? Who, yeah. Who's my father? Yeah, I, I, I think we'll know. It's like has like a Jew fro and comes out with a Torah or whatever. Where's yeah. my debit card? Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll know by that point. No, I just think it'd be cool that if we all had like houses, I, everyone's moving to Austin now. Yeah, a lot of people so, are. So isn't that so weird? Like a year ago, I was kind of like bummed that I'm not going to go back to Silicon Valley this summer because like yeah. I stopped going because it's so shitty over there. And now it's like everyone just came here. It's awesome. How cool is that? We were here before it was cool. Yeah. Um, we'll still be here after it's cool. I think it's just noticing what, what places you felt good at. I mean, we came to Austin. I was like, it's cheap, good looking people, a lot of space, a lot of fun. I like a lot of Mexican food. And I was like, this is a great place to be. Yeah, good governance. I think it's like a freedom-oriented place, all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. I think the only thing about like living, especially now in this generation moving forward, what's exciting is that I think people are like, oh my God, it's not permanent anymore. I think that's the part that's really started shifting mentality-wise where I was talking to like talking to someone about like how I want to live and how they want to live. It's like, hey, I'm going to be here for like six months out of the year. And I think historically, you like, I moved to San Jose and I, that's where I grew up. And it's like, we're going to stay in San Jose for the next 30, 40 years of our life. And then when we retire... We're going to go to New Mexico or Florida or wherever it is. I think that uh, I think kind of technology and stuff enables whatever really rich people do. 
middle class people will be able to do in like 10 years and then poor people will do in another 10 years or so after that. And so I think like the uh, the Vanderbilts, you know, like the big dynasty families yeah. of, of Americas in the 20s and stuff, they were able to afford summer homes. So they would live in like a, a dense, crowded city. They would have some biggest state out in the country. And then with uh, the internet, kind of with Craigslist, you could do a vacation home or something like that. <laughs> so when I first used to do this, there would be a lot of hunting on Craigslist, early Facebook, all that kind of stuff to yeah. find a place to stay. And now it's getting to the point where I think there's going to be a generational shift where like the current or next generation is just going to rent from something like Airbnb, Airbnb or some other alternative, right? Where it's, it's, it's all the, the stresses of renting a hotel or an Airbnb are just going to go away. Where you used to say like, I want to live in this city in a two-story house with a pool, and it'll just kind of direct you to where to go, and it'll open up when your phone is close by. I, I think people are just going to like live like that and have a home base, but then for like summers or winters, wherever it sucks in your location, yeah. um, you leave and just like do kind of kind of like what we did, we like it, yeah. California. What I've been doing for for years, just escaping the heat in Texas. Totally. Yeah. What What do the rich people have that regular people don't have right now? It's kind of crazy because if you think about it, like. Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or Bill Gates all have the same phone. Jeff Bezos doesn't have like a cooler phone than us. He has mm. the exact same phone. Like anything technology-wise seems to be the same across. Like technology, like a billionaire and a pauper have essentially the same phone. What do they, the billionaires have that we don't? I guess they have yachts. Private jets. Private jets. So things yachts. that are physical, uh, oh, they have, that's better. Yeah. So uh, I, I forget who said it, but someone's like, Jeff Bezos probably vacations better than us. Uh, <laughs> but but his phone is the same, and his, does that and, make me feel? And better? his web his web browser is the same. Yeah, that's interesting. So anything in bits that's digital, yeah. uh, gets distributed evenly, and everything physical gets uh, concentrated with the wealthy. It's interesting. I'm reading the innovators, and it's about the history of the computer from like the beginning of time to to present day. And um, it's interesting that at the moments that they could have chosen to make it privatized and not accessible, so they would have had their own cool little internet uh, thing, they're like, no, we're going to make this accessible for everyone. And it's just interesting, like certain decisions like that that are so impactful that some people are like, I'm keeping it. And some people are like, I want to give it away. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, uh, the, what what is accessible to the rich right now that that isn't really accessible to most people? Private health. Private I mean, health, I mean, private jets, stuff like that. But as But as all those things get more digital, then it just becomes ubiquitous to everyone. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I was even thinking something I got really excited about. You know, a lot of times when people are growing up, like I grew up in one of the top school districts in, in America, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just out of luck. It wasn't that my parents moved there. It just turned into be that one uh, in Cupertino. But I was thinking now because of Zoom and, and all the COVID stuff, which is a great thing, if you are a poor child or you live in a poor income, not the child is not poor, the parents are poor. Uh, if you're in a poor income area, you could have the best teachers in the world. There might be some things with like how they're, you know, dealt, dealt with disciplinary and all that shit. But like if you're in a cheap ass area, you could have a best teacher teach you, which is kind of fucking wild. I think that's amazing. So there's not like, oh, I didn't have a good education. Like everyone can have the same now or at least the best. I mean, you can watch every course on in MIT for free and Stanford and Harvard. Yeah. And all the top schools in the world and schools from China and whichever language you want. Like it's all there. That's awesome. Yeah, I watch all these like uh, physics videos that I, I I learned all these concepts later in life because I watch like physics videos and people that are just really good at making YouTube videos and animations and it and you could finally understand it when they utilize all those tools. Totally. Yeah, and I, I was never able to understand some of these concepts in in high school with like a physical teacher and a chalkboard showing me. Totally. So it's kind of neat. If you were to start today, let's say you were like super young. I am and, super young. And you were, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, let's let's say 
let's say you're like really, really young, like 18 and you're starting over again. Um, yeah. Maybe you don't live in the best school district in the country or something like that. Um, what would you do if you were, you were starting today? Do you, do you have any idea? Do you ever think about that? Um, yeah, I think about that all the time. If I was 18, <laughs> I never think about that. Uh, I'll tell you what comes to mind. I, I think about two people uh, and, and their paths. So one, his name is Harry Dry. Mm-hmm. And so Harry is a kid in like bumfuck London. He's like, or in England, not London. He's in the UK. I don't even know what city, small ass city. And he just started blogging. Mm-hmm. And he has a site called marketingexamples.com. I think he's about 19 or 20. And he just started blogging a lot. And he started tweeting a lot. And he kept working on his craft and working on his craft. And now I think he makes somewhere between five to 10,000 a month just from that blogging. I think he has ads and he does consulting. And he might have a course or something like that. Uh, but I like the approach of him where he was just putting out content and working on marketing, which is that's been something I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So I think one approach is like go put out content. Like the craziest thing now is that anyone could be a YouTube creator on any topic. Lighting, film. These are the more obvious ones. Headphones, coffee, mugs, whatever it is. You can make a full-time career. Saw a guy today makes a full-time career picking locks. Picking locks. That's crazy. So I think the idea of content creation, and you just have to be consistent. I call it the law of 100, which is you just have to put out 100 videos. Or you have to do 100 photos. Or you have to do 100 emails. You just stick with that. Uh, that's something I would definitely do. That's one path. I think the content creation path is one of the next major careers of people. The other path that I regret, I, I'd say I regret this, is that just go find someone that you like the path or you think you like the path they took and just do whatever it takes to work for them. Uh, mm. And so I've seen a guy, another guy named Joe Gannon. Uh, he's also in the UK too, which is kind of wild. He went and worked for Ali Abdal, who's a content creator. But And it doesn't have to be for content creation. It can be for anything. If you're like, hey, I want to be a filmmaker or I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to be like a restauranteur, go stage, which work for free at a restaurant, or do whatever it takes to just be around the person who did the path you think you want to copy. Uh, and I think both of those are probably – like the second one, I wish I would have had someone where I'm like, man, I love uh, like how – like my, this, there's a guy, Doug Hirsch, who founded GoodRx, like just been closer to work with him. Uh, and I think that those are probably the two things I would have done. Uh, that's how I would approach it at 18. Hmm. I was – like, does everyone just become a YouTuber eventually? Because like, anytime I see like, what should you do? It's it's always revolving around like putting out content. Uh, that could be just, be just our little world. world. Yeah, it's just the world that we're in. But it seems to be a little bit more true. So like, even if you want to be a doctor, I know, I I guess Ali Abdal, he's- is, He is he a doctor. A, he's a doctor, yeah. And he puts out content about being a doctor. And I remember seeing a video that you did or he did or something like that, where he's like, he makes far more money from like putting out videos about being a doctor than actually, actually being, being a, doctor a doctor in the UK. But I think the point that that's really interesting is my brother's a doctor and I've told him he does mountain biking and he's actually a really, he's a really interesting person, but, and I've been like, yo, you should put it out on YouTube. He's like, I do not want to do that. That's just not something I'm interested in. And it, I thought it was powerful for him and just for anyone to be like, what path, try different paths so you know which paths you don't like and do like, but also what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? Like when I started AppSumo over almost 11 years ago, I wanted to make 3000 bucks a month and just kind of be able to live whatever I want to live. And that, that was my goal. And so I think some people like my brother figured out, which is everyone says you have to go here. And he's like, well, how much do I need to live? And what do I need to do to get that? And so for him, he works a few hours a day doing uh, like insurance claims. And he rev- and he likes it. He's like, actually, it's pretty stimulating. And then it gives me the rest of the day to mountain bike or do whatever else I want to do. Like he's doing stocks now and some stuff like that. Hmm. Hmm. I call it gambling, but he's doing stock investing. Yeah, yeah, it's like a fancy <laughs> name for it. Huh, that's really interesting. I like the law of 100, just doing it 100 times. I think that will instantly tell you if you like something or not. Yeah, because I've had so many times where I've given up too soon, right? Like I did my podcast, I did like four. Or maybe episodes. you should give up though. Maybe you just don't like it. It's hard to know when you're supposed to give up or not, right? Like that's kind of the, the I, I think it's also if you're giving up, did you like doing it and you're giving up for a different reason? So I gave up on the podcast because I didn't hit a goal. 
but I actually really enjoyed meeting people. I enjoyed that I got to like connect and learn things. Like, I felt like I got like little superpowers. Like I'd interview someone and I'd like, oh, like Highlander, the show where you get a different power. Um, but I think the goal like discouraged me from that. Mm. And the same thing with YouTube. Uh, I've had a lot this year where I've done probably around 55 episodes. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely times where it feels like a job. And it's like, okay, well, what is it about this that feels like work and which ones don't? And how do I just kind of shift it? And I think having the law of 100 is kind of, it alleviates that you know what it's going to take. And it's going to take at least 100 of them to get to a point where you can make a decision to quit or not. Uh, and as well with the law of 100, it's kind of, it's not just doing 100 somethings. It's doing it in each time making it a little bit better. So like, all right, this thumbnail is going to be a little bit better. And then each week you just kind of keep improving it. And so, at 100, I feel like it's a reasonable time to quit <laughs> or continue. Uh, yeah. Um, why do you YouTube and podcast? Let's you say know, specifically YouTube. You know, I was thinking about it. I've thought about it a lot. And I, I want to talk to Chad, my business partner. He's got really good advice. Because sometimes I feel like it's not significant enough, which is a weird thing to kind of say. It's like, well, you're helping thousands of people. I call them the underdogs. Mm -hmm. And it is impactful. But then I, I do wonder, like, if I created software, or if I created hardware, if I did something else, would I impact even more people? And is that a better use of my time? And I think that's a really weird spiral that you could kind of second guess everything to nothing. So you second guess, like, oh, I don't know, it's not significant, I stop. Uh, but when I take a step back on YouTube, I'd say, number one, uh, I like meeting interesting people. Like, it's, it's provided a platform where uh, today I'm meeting Tyler Hamilton, who is a famous bike rider. Biker guy, yeah. yeah, I get to meet fucking Tyler Hamilton. Next week I'm meeting Patrick Bed David. Uh, I'm meeting, I, I think what, what's been interesting about YouTube and my career for people to take away personally is I've been working different categories where it's connecting me with different people. So now I'm in the YouTube world. So I'm meeting like Valuetainment, the Patrick Bed David yeah, guy. Love that yeah, guy. yeah. Um, so I'm meeting him. I'm at Aaron Marino from Alpha M. I'm at the Yes Theory guys. So it's put me in a place where I'm like connecting with just really fascinating people. And I think that's a really interesting thing for everyone to copy. Like it could be in any, any category. It could be in e-commerce. It could be in health. Right now for me, it's in YouTube. So those people have been interesting. Um, I have liked sharing what I'm learning because it also forces me to learn. Have you ever done one of those things where I'm going to write something down for 30 days and you're like, oh shit, there's actually stuff in there. I didn't really expect that much. But because I know I'm going to do content, it's kind of forced me to like be more open and aware of what I'm learning. Hmm. And then because I know I'm going to try to share it or I'm going to share it on YouTube. Uh, I think those have been some of the major things. And I, I honestly, like I'd say the comments, like seeing the results and people. And I tell people in the videos like, yo, leave a comment about how this has affected you. And I don't know how I've got such lucky to have such amazing audience of people who want to be a part of this journey. Uh, but they leave comments like, yo, it impacted me. Hey, I did the law of 100. Hey, I've tried this thing that you talked about. And at first I'm like, yo, are you sure it was me? <laughs> and they're doing the work. It's all them. Uh, but being able to have that like kind of little impact, like w one of the thoughts I've had is like, how is it? It's, it's totally possible that the next Elon Musk could be in the audience and they're watching a video and they've learned something and they've gone on to do it. And I think that's more of my job, which is promoting and cheerleading and encouraging the, the engineers of the world to, to go make stuff. Hmm. Or what if you discourage the next Elon Musk? Like he's <laughs> going to go build rockets and you encourage him to make YouTube videos. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm making $12 a month. I guess I won't make rockets. Well, I mean, it's fun. It's also fun, dude. It's It's been fun to like be creative. It's been fun to to learn about like the cameras and the angles and come to studios and, and try the stuff. That, it's been fun. Yeah. Oh, uh, any downsides to it? Doing YouTube stuff? Um, I think if people are trying to make money right away, it's not a money-making thing. Like if I did not have AppSumo as a money-making business and I didn't already have a lot of money in the bank, it, it would definitely be challenging. Um, so you'd have to have a low cost of living. Mm. I think another thing with anything is that there is times where it's work. Like I have to go do work. Like I have to go to, I don't have to, but I'm choosing to go to the office and I think it's important to choose it versus have to do it. But there's times where you're making videos, you're like, why am I doing a fucking video about like this thing? 
Like I'm making a video about a book report and I'm like, I don't want to make a video about this. And so I think that's being mindful of what you have to do and what you want to do. Um, but there's times where it's a little boring. Are you, like, it's funny. I see like a big parallel right now between like, I remember we were like, we met through a blogs in like 2003 or something like early awesome. when like a blog was not even really a word back then. But like, um, I, I see a parallel between people who were blogging back then for fun and yeah. they were, they did it just cause they liked it. They liked sharing the information for some reason, writing stuff out and making pictures on the web somehow resonated with them. And those are the ones that went on to be successful generally because it was something they naturally do. Hmm. Then it became a couple blogs got acquired and stuff like that. And people were like, whoa, you can make money with this. There's, there's, there's models to make money with this. So then people started getting into it just to make money. And some of those people did okay, but most of them don't last that hmm. long if they just get into it for money. That's a great seems. point. I think it's interesting to notice what you like to do for free in the morning. Mm, for free. So like for, for me, if there was no YouTube and no, or there's no ad revenue or any of this stuff, I'd still be blogging. I've been blogging 20 years. I'm going to still keep blogging. And it's just finding, I think for everyone, it's finding the thing you're going to do for free and then figure out how to make that your job. So if it's cooking, if it's interviewing people, if it's writing things, whatever that is, if it's making products, just find the thing you're like, hey, I'm just going to solve these problems. Uh, like Tynan, Tynan's a great example. He, he built a, a drone case to carry drones so you don't have to buy the full cases. And he built his own tea holder thing. He talks <laughs> about tea all the time. I was like, wow, man, like that, that's, he just does that naturally. Me naturally, I'm like, oh, how do we sell that and make money on it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think also I've been like, because for me, I like the promotion and the writing and, and the sharing of that stuff. So I think it is finding that for each person. And, and so how do you deal with that constant pull between like what the audience wants versus what you want? You kind of touched on that. It's like, sometimes you wake up and you're like, Oh, nine ways to start a new business. And you're probably just like, Oh, geez. <laughs> like, like, I mean, how do you, how do you ration that? What do you do? What do you think about that? I think about this a lot. I'll tell you what, it feels good to win though. You know, what feels good making money, having people watch your stuff. It feels fucking great. So even if you don't like something, I will say if you do it and you know that people respond really well to it, it feels fucking great. Uh, I've always told people, well, one theory that I've always told and I, I liked from years ago is called the sex cash theory. You've heard me talk about this, right? Sex cash theory basically is, uh, it's from the movie industry, but it applies to everything, which is Leonardo DiCaprio does Titanic, makes a lot of money. That's cash. And then he'll do basketball diaries where he's like a drug addict and all this shit and doesn't make a lot of money, but it's, he'll get sex out of it. Cause all these people are like, wow, that's really creative <laughs> and he's gonna have a lot of fun. And I've struggled it with the YouTube. Uh, the thing we thought about specifically yesterday, we had like an hour and a half talk with the team was that are we making 1,000 view videos or are we making 1 million view videos? Right? And it's the same video. You can spend the same amount of time, but one video is going to appeal to 1,000 people and one's going to reach a million people potentially. And so I've, with that being said, in terms of how I think about it specifically, it's what's the Venn diagram of what people want versus what I want to make? And I think there has to be some middle ground between those two. And what I've noticed with content creation specifically is there is a middle ground. Because like I put out two videos. Let me give you specific examples. I put out a therapy video, which I was just interested to talk about therapy, and a mountain biking video. Those are some of my least watched videos ever in the past few months. Did it not help people and did they like it? Yeah. Did I enjoy doing it? Yeah. But it doesn't get watched. On the other hand, I put out a video like how to start a business and it gets tens of thousands of views, like Millionaire Weekend. And so I think it's just right now, it's actually spending, I'd say, the majority of our time thinking about what's the topics that we really enjoy and are popular and then really spend more time thinking about that before we even make any of the content. So what we did uh, two days ago is we went and looked up all the top Reddit posts in entrepreneur and small business, and we looked up all the trending uh, YouTube videos. And so the way that I'm specifically thinking about it now is I call it FFR. So of these topics that we already know are guaranteed popular, 
which ones are fast for us to do, which means I don't have to have a high production thing, which ones are fun, so an FFR, fast, fun, and then which ones are repeatable. So with content creation, uh, I've been really, really big on, if I'm gonna do a video, can I repeat the video? Can I, is it something I can do over and over and over? Like Shark Tank is every single fucking week because they know it works. And so we found like book report videos do well for me. All right, so let's think about those. We know that app videos do well. Like here's tools that we use to run our YouTube channel. Here's tools that we use to run the business. Here's tools we use for productivity. Um, and then like another category we're experiencing is like people that make money in weird ways. So here's million dollar newsletters. Here's million dollar YouTubers. Here's million dollar whatever physical businesses. So I, I think it's what are categories or buckets and then they should be fast to do and then relatively fun uh, to make. Huh. So that's kind of more, that the FFR is more what we're doing and spending a lot of time looking at what's already popular and then just putting them through those buckets and then making the videos. I think before it was just like, let me make a video today and talk about it, like something I'm interested in. Interesting. I think there's a term for what you're talking about. Instead of like the sex cash theory, it's it's kind of it, chasing analytics. It will, chasing analytics is, uh, is where you're just like constantly looking at the numbers and trying to optimize for that. There's nope. a balance of it. I mean, we definitely, I'm, I am analytical driven and it, you know, if you're doing a bunch of videos and no one's ever watching it, it's not really working. Mm -hmm. So you can fucking do that forever. But in terms of law 100, it's like, if you're doing it, but you're not improving and no one watches it, then. Well, Eric from Beard Brand had an interesting take on this because they have like millions of subscribers, right? Yeah. And he's just like, if we chase the analytics, what happens is our channel turns into barbershop videos over and over. It's, it's just people watching haircuts. That's it. The problem is a lot of those people don't buy our stuff. So there, he, he also talked about this matrix between like what you want to make, who's your customers, and then like what will actually just get a ton of views. Wouldn't you just say though he's chasing the analytic that it's actually driving money? Because he's basically saying, hey, if I do all these videos, it's actually not driving to the revenue, which is an analytic. I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah I love you, Eric. True. Honestly, Eric from Beer Brand's dope, and he's like my he's like my Nordic dream. I don't know. <laughs> I can see him like <laughs> I protect you with this X. Yeah, like uh, if we were I, a I foot mean, taller and. Had but a I think, <laughs> well, I think the thing with analytics, it is fucking important. If you're just like making up a bunch of videos and then you don't check anything, like that to me is the difference between an amateur and a professional. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at anyone who's a professional on YouTube, or professional in business, they have one, they have big teams, bigger teams than you realize, and two, they're fucking looking at the analytics and treating it professionally. So, for example, recently we were looking at the analytics. And I'm like, yo, our subscriber counts are down, our watch time is down, and so let's try to actually look at the data to make a better decision about it. And what we noted is that the amount of upload quality, upload minutes a week was significantly down. Meaning we were uploading around 40 minutes of content a week to YouTube and it went down to 10. And you could literally map, we Mitchell on our team mapped that to the subscriber number. And it was like, oh, upload minutes was like almost correlated to the subscriber numbers. And so I was like, oh, let's just try to upload more quality minutes each week. And guess what? We did it the past two weeks and now the numbers are starting to go back up. And so I don't think, you, I think a lot of people are naive and it's amazing if you can be naive and make a lot of money in business. Uh, but I think to go to those next levels of business, it is understanding the data and trying to make better decisions on that. Hmm. Is it, is it overcrowded already? Podcasting, YouTube? No, blogging? hell no. It's just beginning. Think about it in like 50 years, like there's going to be so many content creators. Um, there's the amount of categories that are available. I think what's fascinating for me about this whole world is um, the amount of new verticals being created is unbelievable to me like fish tanks, lock picking. My brother told me one last week, it's car recovery for a towing company. And then I think there's just like new categories that are always coming up. And then, so in terms of the beginning of it, no, I think it's just getting started. Me, me and Joe Kelly were talking about it. We were just like, we both watch these like uh, these sailing channels. I don't even sail, but I watch these sailing <laughs> channels of families that just rent boats and go around the world. Yeah. They literally are, they're not doing anything. They're just recording themselves, like having fun, going snorkeling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, they make a full-time living out of this and people send them like stuff. They make cash from their 
stuff. They have merch. This is their full-time job. Well, I think like th- just going around the world and traveling is now a full-time job for some people. The only thing I would I would actually I would poke hole or poke on that, not a hole through it. Um it's a job. And I think people mm-hmm. think of it as just that they're partying. They're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you have a sailboat channel? You must be sailing all day long." Da, 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 da. It's like one, to get to the point where you can just sail all day long and have your team do it, it's probably going to take a few years. Like, I, I call it the 10-year rule. Like, it takes about 10 years to make a million dollars. That's what I've seen from almost anybody out there on average. Like, yes, there's, like, flukes, but if you mm-hmm. want to create a business, get to 10 years, you'll make a million dollars. Knowing that makes it a little bit easier. And also knowing that means you have to fucking start right now. But those content creators, number one, it's a job. Like, I've talked to a lot of them. Basically, like, even Aaron Marino, the Alpha M guy, or Seth's Bikax, basically eight hours a day is, like, recording and then one hour a day is actually having the fun part of being on the boat or being on the bike or whatnot. And I think people kind of uh, misconstrue that. That's a that's a great point because it's so funny when you watch a video, you don't think about it. But then as we started getting more into videos, like I know both of us started getting more into cameras, editing software to a yeah. degree, all that kind of stuff. Whenever I watch some of these videos, I'm like, damn, they made like 19 edits on a B-roll clip, like a, a, a 17 second or not even set, like seven seconds. And you're just like, and you know, it has the cool music in the background drone shot. And, the, and then the music's fading in and out with their thing, drone, drone shots. You have to set up a drone, get a drone, take a bunch of drone videos, like several minutes totally. of it. You have to upload it to your computer, download it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it, it, it's so much work it that is. you just totally take for granted. It's like a full-time production. These people are making movies every day. Yeah. The, the two things I would say uh, to, to add to that is number one, like Mr. Beast had a comment recently that was really interesting. He said he'll spend eight hours on like a 10 second clip. What? 10 second clip. Yeah. And with Mr. Beast as well, he's one of the most popular YouTubers. He's got a team of around 15 people per video. Mm -hmm. But we're like, oh, it's Mr. Beast who's got a camera is doing this shit. Uh, The other thing I think is interesting is that people don't want to be content creators, which is fine. Not everyone wants to be on stage. Some people want to be behind the scenes. I think there's an unlimited amount of work now to either create software to help people like you and me make better content or go be a video editor or go be a producer. There's just like, like we have two people there. There's a lot of new careers that are supporting that. Right, like I was thinking about the iPhone recently. Think about how many companies make products for the iPhone, for the glass, for the case, for like, oh, you can do this camera thing. And so I think there'll be a lot of jobs uh, and industries created around content creators. Hmm. And that's just in the digital world. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated. I like I like the physical world in a way. Like it, <laughs> there's a there's a SRDS. <laughs> I forgot what it's called, but there's a, basically an index for tax records of all the different industries out there. And there's like 14,000 different industries or something mm. like that, at least in the United States. And I remember going through it and you, you hear about like uh, marble quarries. Let's say that. And you just read like you just click on a random thing and it has drop down lists. You could find this online. And then it shows like the sub industries of that industry of that industry. Interesting. And it just keeps going down and down and down and down and down. So it's like marble quarries. Uh, places that make attachments for tools that cut marble. Places that make the materials for attachments for tools that cut marble. Places that market for companies that make the attachment tool. And you Jesus. just go down this rabbit hole like further and further and further. And I think there's also this entire industry out there of like physical stuff that is not yet in the digital world. So imagine like, let's say there's 2000 companies that make attachments for tools that go to marble quarries where they spend millions of dollars on every year. And you're the one that has a YouTube channel about that. Maybe you'll get 15 views on each thing, but one of those people could put in a $500,000 order. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're basically complimenting as a marketing channel doing YouTube for whatever kind of business you have. Yeah. So right now I think like YouTube has has very much dominated like larger industries that are, that are interesting. Uh, to watch. But I think stuff like that, uh, we have some clients that do videos for like uh, high-end CCTV security and stuff like that. And they don't get a lot of views, but whenever a casino places an order, it's for like $19, seven, like $19 million. 
right? That's so, awesome. So I always find that kind of interesting that you can, you and you actually don't have to be that good because there's just not that much competition. Whereas yeah, I think if you're like a family that's sailing around the world, I think the competition for that is really stiff. Yes. Like, like there's a lot of families that are really doing it well and they spend their all their time doing it. Whereas if you're, you know, selling quarry equipment, you probably don't have to be that good actually. It does seem, I was thinking about this last night where, if you have you gone on Facebook recently, once in a while? Yeah, not I, on the desktop version as much. Well, yeah, on the desktop, I don't know. I, I, this makes me feel old. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, tell it's your like, peeps, man. Yeah, what the fuck up, they do? yeah, what the fuck? I mean, I was like, yo, I don't know why. I, I, was, I literally can't use it. I don't I know how to stuff, use it. I, mobile, I still use. But it did make me think about YouTube. It's like, wow, where are there more? It's so hard to use Facebook. I don't know how people are using it. I see. I know how to do YouTube. I go to the site, check some shit, find them stuff I want to do, watch it. Uh, it just seemed a lot more interesting of a marketing channel for any type of business. So if you're doing a, any type of company, like you have a physical business, I talked to someone yesterday, they do e-bikes and he's like, yeah, he's my brother makes a lot of e-bike YouTube videos, which helps drive his e-bike business. Hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know how to say, put, I need to make a name for this, but it's kind of like the, the one view thing. Yeah. It's one view, something about one view. I remember one time I was at a party and there was a CEO of a company there. Everyone was like, oh my God, it's that guy. Which guy? He, uh, I'm not going to say. Okay. But he came up to me. And he was like, yo, are you Neville? And uh, my friends were with me. And they were like, what? How does this guy know you? That's cool. He's like, dude, I follow your blog. <laughs> and so so he he followed my blog for uh, a while ago. And specifically like the homeless experiment or something like that. Yeah, that's And I great. just remember thinking, I was like, of all the people that saw that, this one counts. Uh, mm. So you never know that like one person viewing it can really impact your life way down the line. So even if you're, okay, let's say like your uh, therapy video or mountain biking video or whatever, let's say it only gets like 800 views or whatever's low for your channel. Imagine like seven years down the line, some big higher up people, someone saw that and then they meet you and they're like, dude, Noah, I love mountain biking too. I don't really give a shit about your business stuff, but I love <laughs> mountain biking. Like that one view could actually impact your life in a huge way. And you just kind of don't know. You just don't know. That's a good point. I mean, yesterday I sent out an email to my mailing list and then James Altucher replied to me. He's like, hey, you want to come on my show? I was like, you're on my mailing list? The one view concept. <laughs> yeah, we, one I, view. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the two things, I, I was like doing anything, things in twos. I think the, the two pieces I would say for everyone else out there, no matter what your age is, is one, putting yourself out there creates those types of opportunities. So putting it out in blogging, putting it out in audio, put it out in whatever uh, video. So number one, just put yourself out there because that creates chances. Like that's how me and you met. I mm -hmm. think the second thing that uh, I've been more mindful of, and I'm, you know, over the years, I've, I think I've done a good job of it, is this year or the upcoming year, I'm doing a thing called 52 Weeks of People. And so it's like each week, I just want to meet one cool new person. And I actually, I copied this from a Reddit thread, which was, now that I'm retired, here's how I think about life. Mm. And he's like, each week, I just try to have coffee at the same place with one interesting person. And so next week, next year, it's like, I want to try to just meet one cool person a week, no matter what kind of industry. Like, I got to meet uh, Huel, like the drink. It's like the Soylent kind of competitor. Oh, U-H-U-E-L? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I was like, I don't know if I want to meet him, but I was like, dude, that's pretty interesting that they create a food product and all this kind of shit. I was like, yeah, I'll add him to the list. Hmm. I feel like you kind of naturally do that already, right? I With love the, podca that. the podcast video, you just mentioned all the people that you're interviewing. You're kind of meeting more than one person a week already. Yeah, I just want to meet 52 weeks of people. just sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound <laughs> No, cool. I just think it's like, you know, all this stuff is man-made or woman-made. Like all the money, all the items, and like all the things that we create significance around. And so I think for all of us, it's like, just find the shit that you're interested in. And I think ultimately that's how you also make a lot of fucking money. You're like, hey, I'm interested in blogging. Like if you watch Mr. Beast, he loves making fucking videos. When he talked about, if you watch his first video, it was really fascinating. He posted it a few weeks ago. He's like, hey, I just love making videos. I'm not going to go to school. I just want to do this forever. And then he said his mom, he left his mom's house because she's like, you have to get a job. He's like, I just want to keep making videos. 
And this is when he wasn't getting any watches. Hmm. So he was just doing it natu- naturally. I think something that's that he stuff- was naturally doing for free in the morning anyway, and then he somehow found a way to make money from it. I think what he committed to is that he was. Fat. I think everyone has interests. Like I think if you're above the age of ten, you probably have some interest. And over twenty, <laughs> it's like those ones are probably going to stay. And so his was video making. I think what he actually did exceptionally well was he found he kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. He looked at the data. If you actually watch his stuff, he talks about data. He found the thing that worked, which is these giveaway videos. Like, I'm going to give away a fucking Tesla if you can hold my dick for four hours, right? <laughs> and then he was like, holy shit, these go viral. And so all of his videos are now that. And then if you look at all the top trending channels, top videos, it's like, we did, uh, we held, put our hand on a Tesla and the last person takes it off wins. Hmm. And so it's like, oh, that's popular today in the content creation world. He, so he was, you know, take us back. That's popular today. So for me, it's like, how do I replicate that in my own, like my own world? But the point I was making is like, I don't remember the point originally. <laughs> there, was a, there was a guy named Vsauce that did a similar thing like that. Vsauce is a popular uh, science channel yeah. on YouTube. And he actually, he talked about this and you can go back to his early videos. And he actually talked about, it. he was just like, I want to make a popular YouTube channel. And, he and did, so he yeah, was very free. methodical. He one, he was also a good video creator already, right? So, you know, he has that going. But he's like, I want to make a popular YouTube channel. So he started off with video gaming. And, for, and even though video gaming is huge, for whatever reason, he was just not appealing in the video game world. Like people just didn't like him as much. And so he started making this random, like what if everyone on earth jumped at once, what would happen? And he like breaks down what gravity equations and oh, stuff that's like cool. that. Yeah. So, so he did that. That went totally viral. He did another one. It went totally viral. So he's like, all right, well, guess what I'm doing from now on? Now I'm a science channel. Yeah. So do find the thing you want to do for free, which is the point, And then find the part of it that works and then repeat the fuck out of it. Uh, what do you think is the best channel right now? Or is it like multi-channel blog, podcast, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, software, only fans? I don't know. Like Patreon. I think Patreon's stupid. Uh, the only two channels that matter to me are email and YouTube. Every mm. other channel doesn't count. Hmm. I think Facebook is fucked. I, I think the whole Facebook videos are lies in terms of numbers. I think Twitter, the engagement is actually, it's marginal. So even if you get a large audience, you're going to get point no, no percent engaging. I don't know how much you can actually take your TikTok audience and, and drive them to commerce or drive them to other sales. Uh, I think Instagram was, I think there's less opportunity on Instagram now. I think they've like reduced it because guess what? They want you to buy ads. Uh, I think YouTube is still one of the largest channels that's untapped for anyone out there uh, in terms of trying to grow a new audience. Like if you look at my YouTube, every video, egotistically, I'm like, oh, everyone already knows me and I should just blah, blah, blah. 80% of my video traffic comes from YouTube. So every video that I put out, it's almost YouTube being, uh, they're like my godfather or my godmother. They're like, you'll have a little taste of it. See if you like it. But (laughs) the point there is that they're bringing me all the audience uh, for free, which is amazing. Uh, so that's why I like them because they're bringing a lot of audience. I think they're real people. Uh, and I think they've done a good job with comment moderation. So there's less spamming and less people uh, trolling. Maybe it's my category. And then email is the only way I've seen to effectively like communicate with those people. Like to make a YouTube, I have to put out a video to actually communicate with them and then hope the audience sees it and then clicks description or so forth. Email, like literally right now, I can get on my phone, send an email out to, an, to the audience and be like, I want you to go buy this or I'd like you to go do this or I want you to check this out or here's what I want to share with you today. Uh, and it's controllable and scalable. So what do you, speaking of that about text message stuff, I have some thoughts on this, but what do you think about texting services like community and stuff where you can like interact with the audience based on text messages? It's fascinating to be around. I've been doing the tech stuff 20 years, so it's fascinating to see things come around. So mm-hmm. this has been around before. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I don't. I think mediums that have not been untapped uh, are opportunity. What I mean by that is that not everyone's getting text messages all day long from marketers. Mm-hmm. So there's still opportunity for them to actually like check stuff out in there and have high click-through rates. I think that'll eventually go down. Um, I feel like there's a, 
go ahead. No, 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 please. I feel like there's a constant cycle that I've noticed. And it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just interesting to watch. So there's usually like we've been around long enough to watch the, the first social networks. I yeah. think like Friendster and, and then you could argue before that was bulletin boards and, and AOL chat rooms yeah. and stuff like that. So you see you see the rise of these certain things. And whenever a platform is brand new, they're not making money on it. They haven't monetized yet. It's just like a dude in his apartment with another guy who made some stupid app and it caught on. Right. Yeah. So uh, so it's like Facebook. All of a sudden it's, it, it just catches on. They want you to they want you to post content because they need content. Right, they need people to come to Facebook for a reason, so they encourage you to post pictures. So if you post pictures on early Facebook, whenever pictures came out, like you were probably around Facebook, help work on it. Yeah, yeah, you you partially built it, right? I was part of the photos. I wasn't a corporate. Okay, well, they, so they they made photos available on Facebook, and it turns out that was very popular. So if you posted a photo, totally. your engagement was like through the roof. So everyone's like, I'm gonna post photos on Facebook, right? But now if you post a photo <laughs> on Facebook, it's so normal. Like they don't need that anymore, so they don't really promote it. So okay. right now, Instagram is trying out like uh, Reels to compete with TikTok. So if you post a reel, they drive tons of traffic to it. So every content creator is like, wow, I should this. post more reels because yeah. I get tons of things. But once the jig is up, once everyone knows, they get enough reels and they're like, all right, too many reels. Like there's only so many eyeballs. Yeah. And so then they're going to come out with another product and then they'll push people to that. So we've watched it go from like Facebook pages to Facebook groups. Now groups are kind of going down. And it, now That's it's become like different platforms. Like maybe TikTok is on a big rise right now. But I, th I think the point there is that one, figure out a way that you can communicate with your audience or get their attention whenever you want. And a lot of these other things that you're at the mercy of the platform. You're like, oh, I hope I can talk to my people by, based on putting out the video. Versus an email, you're like, I sent the email or maybe the text. I can communicate with them. They respond. I get the, the re uh, reward or whatever I want. The other thing is like within all these platforms, it's really working, as you said, for your life. What is their optimization? What is their algorithm trying to reward? And then how do I play that game? Sometimes though I think about it at a high level, I'm like, you know who wins? Like people are like, I'm gonna buy a house, I'm gonna Airbnb it out, I'm gonna do this and that, or I'm gonna put up a video and do this. And I'm like, you know who wins is the platform. Mm -hmm. YouTube wins, Airbnb wins, TikTok wins. And so I think if people are trying to make the big ass money, you have to figure out how to be the platform and not necessarily just the individual contributor to that platform. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I, it's, it's, have you seen during, during like the global thing that's happening right now with everyone staying at home, I've noticed like this big resurgence in old ideas. Mm. Um, so specifically, I remember like we started a blog so long ago that we're like, oh, this is old news, right? I feel like starting a blog is like this brand new thing again, <laughs> but, but it's to a different class of people. It used to be kind of VCs, uh, Silicon Valley types, although like cool New Yorkers usually didn't have like a silly little blog. It was just like teenagers, teenage girls back in the day was like who it used Zanga, to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a joke. If you're like a 16 year old Asian girl, you'd write about like, hey, you're, hey, I'm going to high school today. Like that was the joke with blogs. So when we started blogs, it was like kind of a joke. People used to make fun of it. And then it became a thing where you could make money. Then marketers kind of took it over. Um, but now I feel like all the high power people are starting blogs. And it's like has this whole resurgence during this global mm. crisis. That's mm. funny. I don't know. I don't really hear about blogs as much. Really? I see him. Like I saw a guy blogging, Samil. He blogs some interesting stuff about his startup of the year. is called Hopen.2. Mm -hmm. It's like a new event space. So I was like, oh, he blogged about it. Uh, I think the mediums are interesting because you can tweet so fast, right? Like you can go on Twitter, tweet some stuff out. Yeah. I think that's the, that's what happens. You start on a social platform. So let's say you start on Twitter. You start on LinkedIn, yeah. whatever. You start posting stuff. You realize people are listening to you. You're like, oh, wait, I need a home for this to live. So then you start a blog. And then you're like, wait, I could take those blog posts and turn them into YouTube videos. So then you start a YouTube channel. And then you start growing that media thing. And it seems like that's the path that a lot of people have been taking. Seems yeah. like a tried and true path. Yeah. I think for content creation and those kind of things, it's really just figuring out the medium that, that you're most comfortable with. I'm most excited to keep doing like video is not my natural form. My natural form is more probably audio or just text. 
You, you know what's so funny? So by the way, just random side note, I noticed that like, so we talk all the time because we're, so, we're so close. I feel like on a podcast, I make fun of you less. Like we make less funny comments because like I, I see the screen over here and I know that like we have to switch back and forth and stuff like that. Yeah. And so like I interject, we interject less in each other's conversations here. I kind of miss it. Okay. Do you want to insult me? I mean, so you're basically saying you want to insult and interrupt me more. Oh, I got all sorts of roast jokes and everything about you. <laughs> but, it, but it is interesting. The conversation has to be different whenever it's recorded like this. I think whenever you have a microphone in someone's face, like this, someone said it's like the size of the microphone changes the size of the conversation. Really? So if it's a small microphone? Yeah, a small microphone, or if it's like a lapel microphone, mm. and you kind of forget that it's there. Ooh, that's a good quote. Uh, yeah, a lot of times, too, a conversation takes like the first 30 minutes, I've noticed, of a conversation, because they're like, oh, shit, I have to be smart and interesting. And then after 30 minutes, you're like, you forget. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can just be yourself. I remember Bill Clinton a long time ago was talking about how he, he appeals to crowds, and it was back in the 90s. And he was just like, if you have a really good sound system and no echo, you can talk to people like you're right in front of them. Mm. Yeah, so so they make sure like the acoustics and everything are good in a stadium because otherwise you have to like, hey, 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 how's it going? How's it going? But if you have a good place, <laughs> you can talk to a person like you're right next to them, which is pretty cool. Um, I I think we're towards the end of our time, so I only have Already? a few more questions. Damn. Yeah, 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 we only have about ten more minutes. I try to keep this to about an hour. Um, why is OK Dork uh, your personal blog under your own name and not under AppSumo? I, I remember this is this is an interesting thing. Um, you were at AppSumo. You were the CEO of AppSumo at the time. AppSumo was growing and stuff circa uh, 2013, 14, yeah. around this time. And um, you started a separate channel for OK Dork. You started building your podcast, I believe, first, right? Under yeah. OK Dork, but not AppSumo. And I, I, I don't know if there was a lot of tension back then about it, but it was interesting that you went with your own name and not the company name. Do you know what, what was the thought process behind that? The honest thought process is that I was hedging in case the company went under. I thought the company might go under one day and I wanted to have a separate thing. So if the company went under, I had this asset that I could do stuff with uh, in case AppSumo ever blew up. That was one of my like long-term fears, like I was going to screw it up. I think the self-sabotage is a common one for most people. So I felt like if I had something totally separate and I built up an audience of people that I had that I built relationships with, uh, if things ever went bad, I'd have that. Interesting. So that, that was my original thought. Well, I, I just see that uh, topic come up a lot when people are starting a blog or something like that or a social account. Are they like, should I be like the copywritingguy.com or whatever? I'm just like, well, if you're not already that person, I probably wouldn't do it because then you're just stuck <laughs> on that, right? Like you, you've pigeonholed yeah. yourself. I think one of the best things is like, I don't really uh, focus on my personal blog too much, Nevblog, but I still do update it with goals and stuff like that every month. Cool. But like I started nevblog.com back in the day as a total lark for no reason, just to like track my finances or whatever. But like having that personal home, there's something really incredible about that. There's something nice that it was just about my name. It wasn't about a specific topic because then I could change and I could talk about whatever I want. Yeah. Kind of aimlessly like try stuff out. Well, I think what's good, there's, there's a, I think that is actually really interesting in all business. Well, two things I'll, I'll highlight. Number one, it's great to have a playground, right? So with mm. okdork.com, there's no downside. Like if I fuck it all up, like there's two guys with me right now. So like I would feel bad for them, but really like there's nothing to lose. So I can try a bunch of crazy shit out, do it all there. And then if it works, kind of take those learnings and put it into AppSumo.com, which is what we do. Like, hey, this is working on YouTube. You guys copied on, on the AppSumo YouTube channel. So that's, that's number one. I think everyone should try to figure out what's the hobby or playground experiment stuff that you can throw in. The other thing uh, with OK Dork and, and Noah Kagan on YouTube or Noah Kagan Presents is that I do think it's kind of a little bit more interesting to connect with a person versus just the entity, right? Like, oh, there's Noah Kagan or there's Elon Musk versus just Tesla, the car company. Mm. And there's a PR spokesperson. Uh, and so I think the more that you can build those relationships with the audience and those potential customers or, or whatnot, uh, it's a lot easier. We've actually seen the CPAs, the cost per acquisition lower to connect with me than to just connect directly with AppSumo. 
Hmm. Well, I mean, one interesting thing to watch, speaking of the play, I like that analogy of playground or an experiments. I'm, I'm huge on doing the experiments. I've always loved those. I think one thing that you have going for you is that you have something that funds it all. So AppSumo. So you've done you've done all these side projects with varying levels of success, and some of them make money, or some of them you plow all the profits back in, stuff yeah. like that. But the thing that is the cash cow is still AppSumo. And yeah. that you, you have that cash cow that allows you to fund all these other like random projects, which is kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, Bill, I was watching a Bezos interview yesterday and he was like, we've lost billions of dollars. And he's like, we've literally lost billions of dollars on investments. And I think that's just an interesting concept. I think some people try to do the experiment stuff as the main thing, which is great, but really got to get the core working or find a core that you enjoy doing uh, and then create some time of experiments on the side. Hmm. That's a... Uh... That's really cool. Um, I remember when Thanks, you dude. were first starting AppSumo, it was a total experiment. Yeah, you know, I, it, our minds are liars, right? So I think you should, someone said this to me recently. It's like, if you're ever making a big decision, write down how you're making the big decision right now. So when you go in the future, you can look back and be like, oh, not like what I think. It's exactly what I wrote down. You can see actually how you made the decision. Mm -hmm. And so I like that because other, like right now, I think with AppSumo, my original intention, uh, I looked at things that were going on in the industry, but my original intention was to make $3,000 and go work in Thailand. That was all I wanted. It was like, and you know, get software deals. I like, you know, I like a good deal. I still I, like it. I've told you this quote a million times and I know it happened. Well, you remember it's tricky, but I, I know this happened and you don't remember it at all. I've told you over time that one time, so you, you would come to my place and work uh, in Austin, yeah. my place downtown a long time ago when you first moved here. And you were like, yeah, if I could make like $100,000 a year, like that would like, you thought that was the ultimate goal. I remember that back then. That's interesting. You thought that that was the ultimate thing for your life. Like that, that was the ceiling. I, I, I will say I've always wanted to be rich. I think it's, you, you look at story and you, people want to be rich, but they don't know why they want to rich or what they're going to do with it. Like I've gotten, I'd say my own level of rich, but I don't even spend it. Right. So that's a whole separate, separate story. Uh, I think what's interesting with AppSumo is like, it was always treated as a hobby. And I think that's what a lot of people do incorrectly or unintentionally. And they should just be mindful of it. Like I started it as a hobby. Like you saw me, like I'd work on it. It would be fun. I'd be like, oh, let's send an email out. All right. Let's not send an email out. And then eventually Andrew Chen uh, came on board and was like, yo, this is actually like a billion dollar, multi-million dollar opportunity. Let's treat it more professionally. Mm -hmm. um, and so he killed all the fun and we made all the money. <laughs> I think the first part was, the first part was extremely fun. I think it was like a different era. Also, like I think whenever we started writing, like so so that you were really, and I was learning about copywriting at the own time and yeah. applying it to my own business. And so we did those first couple of emails, which are uh, pretty They're classics. I yeah. mean, I think people will look back on it. I will say AppSumo is still fun. It's just a different type of fun. Right. Like the people are working on it now love it. Right. Like the video team gets to work on it or the email marketing team or the deals team. Like they were talking yesterday about how they helped out a customer. And I was like, damn, that's some cool ass shit. It's just different things that people want to work on. And for me, that the beginner level, and I think that's something I've, I'm trying to really finally embrace at 40 almost. It's like I like starting. I like tinkering. I like hobbying. And then as it professionalizing, it's not really my jam as much. So but it's just finding the people that do, do you know that. what's really interesting about age? A lot of people like harp on aging. But what, what I, I feel like when we were really young, we we're so ADD and trying stuff. Yeah, that it was it was going to be difficult to build something consistently over time. And like as you get older, I feel like you just you're you're able to focus on something a little bit longer and spend more time on it. And you start learning about compound returns a little bit more because you've seen it through your life. Yeah. And so 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 it's kind of interesting as you build a bigger business and it gets like quote unquote less fun because you can't be like you know super crazy in the emails or in your uh, at the office because you have too many people. You have HR now. You actually become more adept. Uh, at that life as you get older, which is kind of interesting. 
Is it adapter? Remember we were talking, we had dinner and then I think part of it is also doing some of the crazier things doesn't, it's just not us anymore. That was just like, that was that phase of life. We and were definitely crazier back then. Yeah, which is fine. That was that part. And now we're crazy in different ways or we've just not adjusted. We just, we just evolved. Well, I always thought because like I plan to end life at 85, I always thought like there's going to be two phases of my life. And this is the best way I figured out how to uh, break it up. The selfish phase, which is zero to 40. And then the unselfish phase. And the reason is I have a lot of friends with kids. And as soon as you have a kid, there's something in your your brain that says, I need to protect this kid with my life. And you are willing to lay down your life at a moment's notice to protect that child. And so I think that it's inherently unselfish that you're thinking of someone else beforehand. Uh, one of our good friends, uh, Adam Gilbert, we were both- Sarah. Uh, Sarah. We were walking down the street in New York. I don't know if it was with you or just me or something like that. Me and him were going to Chipotle, of course. <laughs> and we were walking to Chipotle. And in New York, you jaywalk, right? That's what you do. You, you don't see a car, you walk across the street. And he, he stopped me. I was like, bro, what happened? Because he, he just had a kid. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I always think about like what would happen to my kid if I got hit by that car. And I was yeah. just like, ooh, that's, uh, that's kind of deep. He didn't think about himself first anymore. So I want to think yeah. about myself from zero to 40. And then at that point, <laughs> I secede to someone else. I was going to actually challenge that and say, you're actually being selfish because you want your genes to continue. Uh, the, the, the selfish gene, <laughs> that book, that title is really good. It's a, yeah, complicated. I tried reading that book. I couldn't get through it. But the one <laughs> thing I would say though is, uh, I think I go to therapy to learn how to live like you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you go, I think people go to too much, the, uh, I'm not yes. knocking therapy, no, no, all no, that knock crap. It, knock it. I think people, it should be knocked. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. But parts but of people, it should be not. People think of it as this like end all be all that everyone should go all the time. I also view it kind of like it, someone going to a mechanic all the time. Why are you going to that mechanic all the time? It's because your car's fucked up. Right. And so I think when your car's not messed up, then you don't have to go anymore. Sometimes. So what do you suggest to get a new car, kill themselves? Oh God, so many people are going to get on my case for this. <laughs> no, 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 but, but no, I like, keep going. Keep yeah. Going. But, but I also think, um, I think you do have to resolve some issues because I think you had a harder childhood. Like I was, I had a very blessed childhood and awesome family and all that kind of stuff, which I think a lot of people did not get. And so I was just kind of like lucked into that. However, if someone did have a much harder childhood and has problems that they need to issue, they should definitely do it. But I think there's a stopping or slowing down point that needs to happen. Yes. Yes. I was just thinking a new business. See, I, I, I just can't. I think always since I was young, I was always thinking about making money. I was thinking rent a family. <coughs> Jew. <laughs> no, but think about it. So you're like, you've always said this. We've talked, we've probably said this like hundreds of times. I had a great upbringing. I don't think my parents fucked me up. I just think they were neurotic Jewish. You know, we had some challenges. You arguably had a much harder childhood. Different. I mean, harder is relative, right? Like, my in terms of complications and friction points, yes, you all, you you definitely had a harder childhood than me. Dude, you tell my mom, say it to her face. Anyways, <laughs> my my mom would probably say I had the best childhood ever, which I did, and they did their best. The thing I was gonna say is, from business opportunities, rent a family. So think about this: like, if you had <laughs> if you had like a bad family growing up, like I could just rent new. Like my mom's great, and my stepdad, and my biological dad, and my third dad. So, uh, <laughs> but I could rent a new family now just to like practice. Like, Noah, we love you. Okay, let's go to soccer today. <laughs> and like, you could do all the things that like missed out on and then you can just skip the therapy and stop yeah. blaming your parents for everything. That seems like <laughs> it'll just fuck you up later down the line. <laughs> you just gloss over that whole childhood upbringing. How, how do we get in therapy? I don't know. I, I feel like I've watched you do therapy a lot more. And I, I, I almost think that there's a correlation between the amount that you're going and your unhappiness level. I, oh yeah, we're talking about how to live like Neville. I think you're totally right. I went to therapy two weeks ago and he, he was asking me why I'm doing YouTube. And he's like, what's your intent? Why are you doing this now? And I was like, 
It's like, bro, to get rich and famous because we want people to pay attention to us. Like, it's not a bad thing. They keep asking, yes. they keep us, why, why? It's like, yes, that is what your genes want you to do. They want you to become more rich and powerful so you can make more, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. That is what we we're designed to do. And I think that's okay. Whereas yes. a lot of people are like, but why do you want that? And they just keep pontificating on this to a point where it's like, dude, you know the answer. Yes. And sometimes it's not like the prettiest answer in the world. This is what we're designed to do. I think that's beautiful. That's what my therapist says, by the way. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, I, I like saying that to things is beautiful. The thing I would say on the flip side of that, so that was one part of therapy. I was like, oh, this shit sucks. And I, I do talk about you a lot in therapy. And I, I think the other side of that part was I went to relationship therapy two weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, I want to be with someone super impressive. I like to be with someone super impressive. And she's like, well, what do you think about yourself? Like, what's impressive about you? And I thought it, in a nice way, she wasn't being rude. And I was like, oh, I never think of myself as impressive. I never think of myself as successful. I never say that about myself. And she's like, that's just kind of interesting. Like, if you want to be with someone like that, don't you think they'd want to be with someone that's the same thing at the same side. I was like, huh. And so it's made me be more reflective. Like, wow, maybe I have done some impressive things. Maybe I have been successful in this stuff. And mm. so I actually found that helpful for myself. Hmm. I, I think we solved it. it. It's cured. Boom. Yeah. The other one that like today I was telling uh, the friend at coffee was also giving myself more credit. And this is something that applies to everyone. I think you're just not, honestly, I think this is natural for you that a lot of people, it's not natural. Uh, we're in the same, I can see that in my brother too, but as we do things during the day, we never are like, hey, I'm proud of myself. And so I've tried to each day or, you know, throughout the week, be like, hey, give myself a little bit of credit. I think everyone can copy that. But this is literally how you live. Like you should have Neville's like life. Uh, I really, okay. I, I mean, I think we're at the end over here, but at, at the, speaking of the end, I really do think about this all the time. This like, if you know your life is going to end and you know the punchline to this life is that you are going to die. I don't care what technology comes along. It lets you live till 200. After 200, you will die. And after 500, you will die. In 10,000 years, the heat death of the universe, you will die. If you know that that is the punchline, that changes the way you view life. And you realize like, oh, this is it right now. Not before, not after, right now. Literally. This is what we're doing. This is fun. And this is awesome. And that's life. And I think that's the end of our podcast. Noah Kagan, thank you so much for being with us. Love you, man. Good to see you. Yeah, love you, man, too.